Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. And I'm delighted to be with you today. Big day, y'all. Couple of couple of things going on, right? One is just major, and the other one, man, eh, not so much. Let me talk about the major one first. November 7th. It's my mom's birthday, y'all. Happy birthday, Kathy Malfris. I'm, I'm so blessed to have a mother like you who loves me and loves the Lord, and I wish you many, many, many more happy birthdays. Lord willing, I will be with you tonight. <clears throat> I've got to go down to uh, to North Carolina for some board meetings, but I'll get to see my mom tonight, and so I am pleased about that. And let's see, what was the other thing? Tuesday, November 7th. Oh, yeah, it's election day. Yeah, but I'm just kidding. That is a big thing, too, right? Thomas Jefferson has this fabulous quote about the power of a system is not in all those who can vote, but all those who do, all those who participate in the system. That's where the power lies. So get out there, do your civic duty, all right? It, it's a, so for a bit, sorry for my, my joking there. I, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Anyway, it is important. Get out there and exercise those rights. Now, uh, it's good to be back with you as we pick up where we left off yesterday. We kind of left things at a cliffhanger, right? Amazing things are happening. Paul and Silas arrested. They, they drove the demon out of this slave girl. They ended up, uh, her, her owners are going bankrupt, so they go nuts, right? They incite violence against him through the crowd. Take him to the magistrate, lie about Paul and Silas. They ended up being severely flogged. That's the terminology used. They're beaten within a, a few inches of their life. They're, they're thrown in jail. Their feet are put in stocks. And this amazing thing happens. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Amazing, they're praying and they're praising in the midst of their agony. And then something else amazing happens. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And something else amazing happened. Suddenly, there was this violent, verse 26 of Acts 16, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Amazing. And then, I feel like Billy Mays. And there is, after this happens, one of the most amazing things, there's no prison break. Nobody goes anywhere. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. It's amazing. Why were they still there? Well, you know, we talked about this yesterday. I gave you my opinion. I quoted one of my favorite movies, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So shines a good deed in a weary world. I think that what those prisoners witnessed through Paul and Silas's prayer and praise is the beauty of the gospel, the genuine article, and they couldn't go anywhere. And that calling extends to you and me that that, that should be our testimony too. But nevertheless, all of this happens. Amazing. But something else is about to happen that is even yet more amazing. It's incredible. Let's pray and then we'll find out what it is. Father, please be with us now. Guide us in this time. Help us to understand your word. For those of us who know you, let us bask in the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the power of your majesty. Oh, you're such a wonderful God, and, and the beauty of Christ shines beyond all others. And for those of the folks here that, that may be here that do not know you, please 
penetrate their hearts of stone that the light of Christ would pour in, that they would see their great need, and they would see that you are not far away. So please work in our hearts at this time, and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. As I alluded to before I prayed, we're about to witness something even more incredible. Now, what is it? Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, all right, stop, 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 time out, pause, hold on, hold on. You probably already read it. If so, that's okay. But before we even get to what he actually asked, think about all the things he could have asked. He could have asked, what, what happened with this earthquake? He could have asked, why is everybody still here? He could have asked, why do you care if I kill myself? Remember, he was on the verge of doing that. He could have asked, who are you? Obviously, this stuff is happening around you. Who, who are you? But he didn't ask any of that. Instead, he asked, verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, y'all, something's going on here. Something is going on, and there's a big, deep thing going on, and I know what that is, but the other thing I don't. I don't know how he's arrived at this point, the jailer, right? We know from earlier, I read about it in verse 25, we know that as Paul and Silas are praising and, and, and praying and praising God, um, we know that the other prisoners are listening, but from verse 27, we know that the jailer was asleep because when the earthquake happened, he woke up. He's probably in a different part altogether, but he didn't hear this. So does this mean that he heard something? He's the jailer. Maybe he asked questions. I don't know. Maybe he said, well, who are these guys? Why is it such a big deal that I need to keep such a close eye on them? It talks about they were thrown into prison, verse 23, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Maybe he's saying, what? what's up with these guys? They don't look too violent. Why, why these guys? I don't know. I don't know. Um, if he did ask what they had done, then probably what he heard was what said in verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. That's probably the only answer he would have gotten, if anything. So I don't know what brought him to this point. Had he heard the gospel previously? I don't, we don't know. That's the circumstances, but we know deeper what's going on. We know that he's been cut to the heart. We know that because this question, what must I do to be saved? The way that he asks it, falling, trembling before them, what must I do to be saved? Y'all, this is akin to what we read all the way back in chapter two, that Peter, after he preached his great sermon at Pentecost, it says the men were cut to the heart and asked, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? Almost exactly the same language, except it's singular instead of plural. What must I do to be saved? And they're about to tell him. But before we get to the right answer, we've got to recognize that there's a lot of answers to this question. What must I do to be saved? First off, this question assumes something, and, and it's kind of a foreign concept in our world. One of the biggest problems with our world is that our world doesn't have a savior because it doesn't think it needs to be saved. 
There's no saving to be done. So you don't need a savior. You know, our world has this mentality that I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Everybody's fine. Everything's equal. You know, we got this tolerance thing going on where everything is equal and valid except for Christianity. That's not equal and valid, but nevertheless, we got this thing happening. So the idea of being saved is a foreign concept. Saved from what? But, but, even if that does come up, the idea of getting into heaven, hell is non-existent for most people until you ask them what they're going to say to Hitler when they get to heaven and find him there. But when you ask them about heaven, when you ask them about the afterlife, right, their justification for their standing in the next life often enough is based on their identity, right? They say, well, I'm a good person right? People get this weird thing, and I talked to the youth group about this last night. I preached on this before, talked about it in here. We got this weird thing going on where they believe there's like some cosmic scale somewhere that somebody's reading where if you do more good things than bad things, and your good things way more than your bad things, then, then you'll get into heaven. Yeah, again, who operates it, who reads it, who judges it? I don't know. That's just the prevailing thought that if you're basically good, then you don't have anything to worry about as if basically good as a thing. But nevertheless, that's what's predominant. And sadly, that's not just in the world, that's in the church. Y'all, I've said it before, I preach it. There's going to be so many Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians in hell that their legs are sticking out. Because you got a whole bunch of people out there that think knowing Jesus is all about following a list. They think it's about church membership. They think it's about being baptized once upon a time. They think it's about an emotional response. They think it's about following some things and basically being good and giving some money every once in a while. And I serve on this church board or I volunteered for this church thing and I'm basically a good person. So I'm going to get to heaven because I'm obedient. Well, guess what? You and I are not obedient. <laughs> not on our own. In fact, any obedience that we have is the obedience of Christ that is placed on our account because you see, we have no righteousness. That's why we need Jesus to be our righteousness. And indeed, he is, but only on one condition. After asking them this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What does that mean? Well, y'all, the term believe that is used here is is good. That's what they're not talking about. Sorry, let me get a little more comfortable here. What they're not, I climbed a deer stand last week. I hadn't climbed a deer stand in seven years and I'm hurting in all sorts of places. But anyway, I didn't shoot anything either. But nevertheless, this question, right, of, of belief, people get this thing messed up. Okay, belief is not mental recognition, as in I recognize that Jesus is real. Well, guess what? Satan recognizes that Jesus is real. All the demons recognize that Jesus is real. Um, the, the most liberal person you can find recognizes that Jesus existed in time and space. So it's not just recognizing Jesus's existence or God's existence or anything like that. It's recognizing that Jesus is Lord and believing it as a matter of faith, functioning with Jesus as Lord of your life. There's a debate that, that happened in one of our Sunday school classes recently about whether or not you had to know the date and the hour that you asked Jesus to save you in order to be saved. Y'all, you don't, okay? If so, then I'm in trouble because I don't remember the day and the hour. 
In fact, the biblical paradigm that you find is that children are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord to such a degree that there's never a time that they can remember not believing in the name of Jesus. Because belief is not about a mental acceptance. Belief is about trust. Belief is about what you do. I can look at this fine desk chair that I got not so long ago, and I can say, yeah, that looks like a sturdy chair. Um, I put it together. I think I put it together right. You know, everything looks fine with it. And I'm pretty sure it would be nice and comfortable. But if all I do is say that, and all I do is look at the chair and never sit down in it, I don't really believe that the chair is going to be comfortable. I might have it in my head, but it's not lived out. In the same way, you can know all sorts of things about Jesus. And if you don't know him, you're not saved. Because knowing Jesus means trusting in Jesus and trusting in him alone for your salvation. Not your works, not your church membership, not your baptism, not your mama, your daddy, your grandmama, your wife, nobody like that. No, it's between you and Jesus. And if you're trusting in him daily, if you're living with Jesus as Lord of your life, have you confessed your sins to him? Ask for forgiveness? Good. Do you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness? This is indicative of believing in Jesus. It's necessary, y'all. It's not. Our, our, once you're a Christian, going to Jesus, you cannot go to him with every sin you've committed, but do you live a life of repentance, recognizing that you need his forgiveness, recognizing that he died to save you and living out of gratitude? That's what being saved is. Salvation is not a process, though. Salvation is not about somebody looking for God out there and recognizing that God exists, and so he's just looking for him. Y'all, when people are looking for God, when they're seeking God, usually what they're seeking is not God but themselves, or they're seeking for God to do something. Salvation is submission to Jesus as Lord of your life, asking him to save you. That's why I say it all the time. Ask him to save you, and he will. Are you trusting in him alone for salvation? I ask it all the time. The response that is given to this jailer, don't even know his name, the response is given to this jailer by Paul and Silas is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, period, the end. That's it, believe. That implies active faith that is real and tangible and results in the real and tangible. Trusting in Jesus, okay? And then they throw something else in. They make him a promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Y'all, before I prayed, I alluded to something amazing that was going to happen. Well, it's incredible. Don't get me wrong that Paul and Silas were praying and praising God is incredible, that the that the, the prisoners were listening to it, incredible. Admittedly, an earthquake that opened all the jail cell doors, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like a modern prison that's automated where all the doors open at once. It didn't look like that. It would have been much more violent. But all the doors open, all the chains fell off, incredible. But the most incredible thing is that the Lord has taken an entire household and turned their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And they've come to trust in Jesus Christ. This jailer who 
hours before this, was on the verge of taking his own life. He gave up his life for Jesus. And y'all, that's what belief is. Faith ultimately is born out in the change that results from it and the continual submission to Christ. And the most amazing thing that we see is that he and his whole family came to know the Lord and he went from suicide to joy. He went from despair to elation. And this promise is for you too. Rewind to Acts chapter 2. This whole believe in the name of Jesus and be saved, it isn't just in in Acts chapter 16, it's Acts chapter 2. After Peter said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and be baptized, he said, this promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. The promise was for this jailer and for his household. This promise is for you. Y'all, do you know Jesus? Are you really trusting in him alone for your salvation? If so, bask in his glory. But if not, don't wait. Turn to him today. This ends in verse 35. It says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent to their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you leave and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Amazing. Amazing. Now, it's not over. Something else is going to happen, and then we'll get to that tomorrow. But do you see the work of God? I told you just a second ago, if you're a believer, if you're trusting in Jesus, bask in his majesty. In his majesty, not only to save, but to work and to work right now. Nothing's changed. This is the God that we serve. And in the same way, if you're here and you know that you don't know him, nothing has changed. This is the God that you can serve the God that's able to transform, the God that's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. He is working. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and I pray your blessings on everyone here. May your name be lifted up and exalted, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at six. Until then, have a great day.